You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Hello and a big Easter time 48th episode of Null and Void Sports Podcast. Another slightly shorter episode tonight to fit in with your busy lifestyles. But as ever, we're brimful of all that's best in sports stories. My name's Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. So I guess for you, Andy, over the weekend, more distance walking in preparation for the big event? Yep, Tony. Uh, yesterday was my last long practice walk before the Isle of Wight at the end of April. So the aim was to do 65 kilometres. Due to technology, I'm not quite sure the exact distance. As my GPS watch said 63 kilometres when I finished, my phone said 70 kilometres, and map my run online where I'd planned the route uh, said 65 kilometres. So who knows? If you average those out, you get 66 kilometres. So it's That'll somewhere do. round about that. That'll do. But it, it went OK for you. You feel all right afterwards? Yeah, it was a good day out. It was tough uh, for the no- those that know the South Oxfordshire area. Um, the Thames path goes across the Goring Gap between Whitchurch and Goring. Uh, it didn't seem that steep walking down it on the way out, but it mm-hmm. certainly felt a killer on the way back. So that was tough. That was at about the, by the time I'd finished that on the way back, that was at just short of 50 kilometres. So the next 15 Ks certainly really felt it in my legs. But yeah, today, apart from that bit between standing up and sitting down where there's a oof, um, it's not too bad. Not too bad, see you survived. Yeah, you what survived. about yourself? What were you up to? I, I hear you had an yeah. active weekend. Yeah, you, you planned yours. Mine was totally unplanned because on Friday, I remembered I'd seen on the local Facebook forum for the village, some uh, my very near neighbour, about 20 yards away, actually, along the bridle path there, um, was saying she got some soils available if anybody wanted any. Now, for ages and ages, we said at the bottom end of our garden, which gets damp during the winter, we needed to get uh, soil in there. Uh, Now, you might think, well, yeah, but you'd need quite a lot. And you're right. But actually what happened is they had an excavator when we went round because I said to Sue, go and say hello to them. Uh, Because she said, well, I don't even know them. I said, but it's Millie and Alex. Go and say hello. She came back and she said, oh, they've got loads. Yeah. And anyway... Within half an hour, and I've done a run with a local, uh, with a, a doggy locally, uh, and within half an hour, we're all borrowing soil from this excavator, <laughs> putting it straight in the uh, wheelbarrows. And I don't know if you've done that, but when the weight's in front of you like that, you suddenly feel parts of you that you wouldn't normally. So I thought, I'm going to look on this as a very good gym weightlifting session. <laughs> And after an hour or so, I was thinking, one hell of a gym session. Three days later, we were still shoveling stuff down to the bottom of our garden. You won't believe it if you imagine you've seen our garden, but the far end where it dips down, all covered there. And they have got rid of everything they wanted to get rid of, 99% of it to us, but actually um, 1% to another near neighbour as well. but that they couldn't have possibly done what they were doing. It didn't cost us anything, which is brilliant, other than the effort. And for them, if they hadn't had us to tip this in, 
would have had a real problem and had to have somebody come and take stuff away, which over the bank holiday would have been very difficult. So mm. it was a kind of marriage made in heaven. And everybody was saying, this has worked out famously. The only thing is, you've got somewhere between 40 and 50 tonnes of soil that's at the bottom of our garden that now you've got it there, you've got to do something with it, you know. So all, all, the, uh, all the raking and all the forking and all the rest of it still has to go. So, yeah, totally unplanned, unlike your journey. And, and I, I must say that um, lolling in the steam room, as I did at my health club today, really felt quite good the shoulders I, yeah, I'll bet yeah. Your shoulders were killing you at the end of and that one day i was digging stuff and put it in a barrow as well and that under my arm you know so it was a very interesting exercise and everybody's happy with it but i wouldn't recommend it every weekend it's like a south oxfordshire version of rocky where he's working out before the uh the fight doing all the uh all the basic chores and around the farm yeah well i, I the, the fact is that I don't think anybody uh, would want to repeat the exercise, but it, it's worked out extremely well. I think it's fair to say. Now, is cricket working out extremely well for England? I mean, Joe Root has resigned, stepped down. Um, who's next? Who knows? Um, I think the only one that you would ink in as keeping his place, you know, obviously it's all going through the changes of, we'll talk about it in a moment, but new managing director, there'll be a new coach, you know, they might want to appoint their own man, but you know, the only one that I can see really guaranteed his place is Ben Stokes. Do you want to add the burden to him? I think, you know, if you look at the last couple of all rounders to have been given the captain's armband for England who were playing well, and then the captaincy didn't, if you look back to, Andrew Flintoff and the disastrous Ashes tour in 06. If you look back way further, Ian Botham, um, the Ashes of 1981 and Mike Brearley coming back in, take over. Um, It never seems to work out for an all-rounder captain in England. So I don't know if that will be an option. Do you bring back in and give it as a short term to someone like James Anderson or Stuart Broad? Is there a chance that they might have sort of spat the dummy after being left out and therefore might not want it? Genuinely don't know. You sort of look at it and think the captaincy cupboard looks a wee bit bare. Yeah, and, and talking of the other posts there, the MD appointment of Rob Key. Now, I, I had to be reminded, to be honest, when I read it, that he was a Sky commentator. I hear the voices. I don't necessarily attach names to it. But he's done a very competent job for a long time there. Having been a player, you were telling me, for Kent before. Now, whilst that's all good and proper and nobody's going to say he doesn't know anything about cricket, because he does, but is he the very best person available? Or is, you know, again, are we compromising in some way? I think in some ways he was the only person available for that role. Um, I still think uh, Sir Andrew Strauss would be a great appointment, but he's made it very clear that he doesn't want to do the job again on a full-time basis and a permanent basis. He did a, did a really fantastic job when he was a MD before. I think that Rob Key was the only choice. I think Marcus North was the other runner, the Australian, and he pulled out. So really it left Keezy as the only choice. Um, I think genuinely good bloke, genuinely knows a lot about cricket and a very good commentator and pundit. 
and his analysis has always been very good on Sky. Let's see yeah, what he if, does. I think he's um, very confident dealing with the media. Obviously, that's not unusual, mm. you know. But he, he will be in a good position to do that, and clearly, in a very important position to appoint the coach. And and that's the next question: is is he a Langer fan? I read somewhere that he is. Uh, does that mean they'll push him forward, or will there be other influences? I again, interesting times. I mean. I couldn't believe that Australia parted ways with uh, Justin Langer when they did. And I think a lot of that was down to, yes, you know, he, he resigned. But when, when you read the stories about the offer that was made and the type of contract that was put on the table for someone who just led them to the T20 World Cup win and an Ashes drubbing of England, I think that, you know, what was put on the table was pretty derisory. I think that would be a great appointment for England. I think he'd come in and shake things up a bit like Duncan Fletcher and Andy Flower did in the past. I think he'd be the sort of person that could really grab the dressing room and take us from the bottom of the table. It, very reminiscent of when Duncan Fletcher and Nasser Hussein teamed up together back in 1999. So I'd love it if it was Justin Langer. I think if we don't get Langer, here's my outside bet and uh, Mike Smith can go back to this as the hindsight podcast in future. Okay. If we don't get Langer, I think one to look out for is a name that no one's really mentioned so far, but he's done exactly this job of doing a reset with an England cricket team. And that was Mark Robinson. He did a big reset with the women's team in 2015, 2016. He moved Charlotte Edwards on and who'd been a fantastic captain and servant but moved her on, rebuilt that team. And two years later, they were the world champions, the 2017 World Cup winners. He then left the England post a couple of years later, took on the Warwickshire post and led them to the county championship. So he's not being talked about in many circles at the moment. But if we don't get Langer, watch this space. I think Mark Robinson's name will go into the ring and I think he'd do a cracking job. But I would love to see Justin Langer get the role. Yeah, I think the kind of um, high level of discipline and, and shaking the whole thing up is what's been needed for quite a while. It clearly wasn't happening with the personalities involved before. So time for change. And, and as ever on Null and Void, we say, well, yeah, watch this space, see what's going to happen, because mm. definitely big moves there. Um, Red Roses, Rugby? Yeah, they're, they're back in action uh, this weekend. They had a weekend off for the Easter weekend, but the six, Women's Six Nations picks up um, a pace again this weekend and the Red Roses are playing Ireland. If they win that, not only do they stretch their unbeaten run to 24 games on the bounce, but they also take the triple crown for beating all the other home nations and it would set them up for a Grand Slam decider, potentially if France win against France, uh, the following weekend, which is already a sellout with a, I think, 15,000 crowd down in France. So um, fantastic build up there. I think it'll be great if they can do. Again, without wanting to put the mockers on them um, and the kiss of death, but England have got a full time professional setup um, with contracted players. Ireland are really just starting out on that journey. So England should beat Ireland quite comfortably. They've beaten. Scotland, Italy and Wales comfortably, they should be looking at doing the same with Ireland and setting up that game against France uh, a week later. So uh, fingers crossed on that one. 
Um, other rugby, we've had the uh, European Cup, the Heineken Cup, and some amazing games there, some real ding-dongs and tussles. Um, you had Sale against Bristol, which had been a dog of a game the previous week, but this second leg was absolutely Friday night, crazy t- stuff. You know, the lead changing hands a number of times. Same with Quinn's Montpellier. You know, Montpellier were 14 points to the good from the first leg. Quinn's ended up losing the t- over the two legs by a point. And the same with Ulster Toulouse. Ulster had been had gone to Toulouse, the reigning champions, with Anton Dupont and a number of the other French Grand Slam winners in that team. Team packed with superstars. Ulster had won in their backyard. It came back to uh, Ulster. I refuse to call it by the sponsor's name. It's Ravenhill in Belfast. And um, again, ended up losing the tie over the two legs by one point with uh, Anton Dupont scoring the winning try with about five minutes left. So an absolutely amazing weekend of rugby. We've got our eight quarterfinalists now. The quarterfinals take place 6th to the 8th of May that weekend as teams then look to reach the final in Marseille at the end of May. Yeah, lots to look forward to there. Um, equally within rugby, there is talk of, uh, I mean, there's actually talk of whether the two-leggedness of all of that makes for very exciting rugby, and clearly some of it definitely was, but also talk of this 20-minute rule. Um, just explain that for our dear listener and what your feeling is about it. Yeah, it's being trialled in New Zealand at the moment. Um, and basically what it is, is a number of games, certainly over the two legs. I think the first leg seemed to be a lot of players sent off for uh, tackling someone in the air and they come down dangerously, land on shoulders, necks, heads. You know, if someone's leaping up for a high ball, it can be quite dangerous. In the second leg, there seemed to be a number of sendings off this weekend for shoulder contact to the head or head-to-head, high tackles that were basically deemed dangerous and players sent off. Now, what they're talking about is not sending or sending a player off still if there's that shoulder-to-head contact or a dangerous tackle, but if there's no malice involved, if it is players getting their technique wrong, they're talking about that player would be sent off, but after 20 minutes, another player could come back on. So at the moment, you have a yellow card, which is a sim bin for 10 minutes for some foul play, or a red card, which is off completely. What you'd see with an orange card is you'd avoid things like the England-Ireland game. Charlie Ewells is sent off in the first minute and a half of the game, and therefore a team are down to 14 men for the whole game. You'd have 20 minutes where they were short, And then another player could come back on. So the player that's sent off is permanently excluded, but someone else can come back in. I like the idea in terms of you're getting a lot of games that are being skewed by, you know, these marginal red cards. And some of them, I think, you know, when players get their technique and tackle technique wrong, it's not malice. It's not malicious. There's no intent. It's just someone didn't dip enough, didn't quite get it right. And you end up with a head on head or a shoulder on head. So from that perspective, I like it because in rugby, unlike football, you know, if you think football, you've got a goal that's what, 12 yards wide. Mm -hmm. So if you go down by a player, you can start to park the bus as teams do. And it makes scoring a lot harder. If you think rugby, 
it's an 80 meter wide pitch and all of that goal line is a scoring yeah. zone. So Good space point. and defenders to cover that makes it a lot easier. Certainly the Ulster game to lose his late try came because they'd worked Ulster. Ulster were a man down for the last 20 minutes. They'd worked them into that position and then got the ball wide and they had numbers over. So I think you, you'd see a better balance in games. The difficulty though, is that it's not going to change players' techniques if there's no significant punishment. You know, at the moment, they're seeing these sending off and they're still not getting low enough. We're still seeing too many shoulders to heads. And although a lot of them are accidental rather than intentional, if we're talking about player safety, then we've got to look at that and say, how do we change behaviour? And that's the way stamping it down, slapping down on it is one way of changing that behaviour. However, if that's not going to change, then we've got to look at other things to do that. But if, if you look at something like the, the Ewells one, you know, the danger there is for the defender. It's not the actual attacker. You know, some of them, when it's a, sh- a defender's shoulder to the attacker's head, the danger is to the attacker. But something like that, where Charlie Ewells has gone in standing up, and as he makes the tackle, his head collides with the Irish player's head. The danger there is for the defender. You know, the, the head going back, the whiplash of that. That's what's going to cause the concussion and the, the the brain injuries and the mini concussions, micro damages that people are now exploring much further. So I like the idea in terms of as a spectator and the games being played and it making it much more even at the end of a game. I just don't think it's going to change player behaviour significantly enough when already with these sendings off and games being skewed, still so many players are going in with the shoulder high. I think there's got to be a whole analysis and look at how how that tackle area is coached at the technique, that side of it. Owen Farrell came back from injury this weekend. First tackle, shoulder to high shoulder, no arm wrap you know, penalty against, that should have been a yellow card, some would argue. So you've got players that are doing this repeatedly and they're not changing their technique, changing their behaviour. I, I, The choke tackle for years was a big thing where one player goes high and smothers the ball, another goes low and takes the legs. That's been coached for so long. I think it's almost ingrained in a lot of players' technique and psyche now. And when you're tired after 80 minutes, fatigued, you know, you go back to muscle memory and that's the muscle memory. So I think big change of player behavior needed. But if the orange card came in, I, I'd certainly be an advocate of it. OK, well, in a way, that conversation leads me to the next point, which is the name Steve Thompson. You know, you know full well. Well, he's just brought out a book called Unforgettable for what will become obvious reasons that he got. I think he's 43 years old, early on set dementia and he was at one stage England's most capped player hooker I believe Mm -hmm. but the fact is that he doesn't even remember even when he sees the films of the World Cup holding even though he can see himself doing it holding the World Cup he doesn't remember it he doesn't remember an awful lot of what did happen in the game and his successes nor even uh, the names of his children and or his wife and that's an incredibly sad situation. And he's one of a number of people in rugby union, and there are in rugby league, who are taking action against the authorities for neglect, essentially, 
to their safety over a number of years. And there are players who are developing dementia much earlier <clears throat> and also in many cases dying early on the back of it. So it's not a subject that's going to go away. But your memories of Steve Thompson? Uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, he was the uh, hooker when England won the World Cup in 03. He threw the ball into that line out that um, led to the move that put Johnny Wilkinson in the position to kick the ball through the sticks. I was lucky enough to be there that night. I think it's it's, it's, a, it's a shocking shame for him and the other players, players like Alex Popham. I think they're the two that have maybe got the most coverage because they were the most sort of senior, well-known and capped players. I think it's terrible. Um, again, does the responsibility lie with the clubs they played for? Does it lie with the unions? Does it lie somewhere in between and the uh, culpability of both? I think that's a very difficult one. And, and I think, you know, from a from a legal perspective, that could be very difficult to show where the liability lies in terms of the case they're bringing. That's not to say that they shouldn't bring it, but just, you know, difficult to sort of say where that liability sits. What I would say is, again, it comes back to what can the game do now to make it safer while still maintaining that confrontational, physical collision aspect you know you don't want it to become touch rugby but at the same time you don't want people like steve thompson having early onset dementia there's got to be somewhere in the middle that we can look at now again i'm not a brain expert so i don't know where that middle ground is i know that there's been moves in things like clubs reducing it to 20 30 minutes of tackling training in the week and that's all they're limited to and the the rules have been set out by that um, but then again, I think the danger with that is if you don't work on technique when people are younger, you end up with the problems we've talked about where people aren't tackling properly. So there's got to be a balance. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, world rugby, the clubs and the unions have got to do all they can to make the game safer, but also to support these people like Steve Thompson, like Alex Popham, like others who maybe haven't been at the forefront of the campaign in the press or haven't been recognised as much by the press, but are still struggling with it. And I think, you know, they've got to do as much as they can to support these guys. They gave a lot for rugby. Rugby's got to give something back for them now. Yeah, and I think, as you say, it's got to be at the top end of things and a consolidated approach rather than a one-off here or there Mm. that really comes up with a solution. Because it isn't only rugby union, rugby league as well. Clearly football's in, in there as well and you could add a number of other sports boxing included yeah so, and i mean nfl had the case the player former players brought a case and they won their case as a class yeah. action suit so you know if we're looking at that then there's precedent there for the legal legal recourse but i think you know what all of us would like to see is not players having to resort to the courtroom after the event because they have got early onset dementia or other brain injuries it's let's do something that means that they don't get them and don't have to then go to court with this yeah steve thompson's book is called unforgettable if you're looking okay uh back to football and and it was semi-finals for both women and men's that weekend some exciting games um and that leaves the final of the women's to be Chelsea against Manchester City. 
two very strong teams in the Super League anyway, Women's Super League, uh, and men's Chelsea versus Liverpool. So Chelsea dominant, doing very well in both women's and men's. So those should be exciting finals, both of those, and incredibly difficult to call, to be honest. Um, I've watched them all of those teams a, a lot, and uh, some exciting stuff in there. The other thing I made a note of, Andy, was uh, Champions League semi semis are now Manchester City against Real Madrid and Liverpool against Villarreal from Spain. And uh, um, could there be an all-England final? Could be an all-English final, could be an all-Spanish final, could be a mix of both. It reminds me of a few years ago when Barca, Bayern... Uh, Dortmund and Real Madrid were in the semis. And again, all the lads that I worked with were um, saying, oh, it'll be a, an all-Spanish final. And I just had a sneaky feeling and went and uh, had 20 quid on an all-German final. And it turned out to be an all-German final. And they were sat in the office after the second leg, which, you know, it toed and froed, I think, one of the results. Um, it all swung on away goals. And they were sat there going, never saw that coming. And I ne- couldn't believe it would be an all-German final. And I, I, I sat there grinning, 120, 120 quid the richest. So, um, yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> you were popular as ever. Yeah. Uh, smug as ever, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, smug as ever, no mates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but, but certainly, uh, I mean, it'd be great if it could be uh, City against Liverpool. I know for you, that's probably, again, the worst combination possible, oh, but... want them both to lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, we'll see. But it is, in all of these areas, we've been talking about an exciting conclusion to the season. So, so much more for us to talk about on this podcast, but not tonight. The next uh, subject I had on my list, anyway, was a duathlon. Um there's a friend of mine, and congratulations are definitely due to a friend and colleague of mine called Mike Butterworth, who was chosen to represent GB in his 50 to 54 age group for the very first time at an event at Alsdorf, Germany, last week. And he put on Facebook, I didn't realise he'd, he'd made the team, he's a very modest guy actually, but he showed him running in the, in the vest and obviously cycling as well. And he just said he was totally in awe of these fantastic athletes that were all around him. And he did very well. He was just outside the time that definitely qualifies him by, I think it was only three seconds for next year. But wow. he did very, very well. And he just said it was probably the best thing he'd ever done in his life, you know, and you can imagine. And in fact, the nice final bit note to that story is uh, that he said, and we'll finalise this, He's going to come on as a guest on Null and Void. He'd make a great guest. And, uh, you know, how do you feel when you're pulling that vest on? After He's done triathlons. He's not mm. suddenly arrived there. He's done a lot of work over the years. He always was very fit when I knew him in business terms. Um, but that's going to be uh, exciting times. And for us on Null and Void, you make a very good guest, I'm sure. Yeah, can't wait to speak to him. And here, you know, I think duathlon is run, bike, run, isn't it? It's... Uh... It just yes. leaves the swim out from the triathlon. But yeah, you know, very tough sport. I, I know people that have taken part in them, but never got to that level. So, you know, and, and for Mike to say he was in awe of these, you know, superb athletes around him. Well, 
he qualifies as one of them. He, he, he qualified. He was there by right. He's now, you know, represented his country in his sport. So, uh, you know, fair play to him. Now, a little note, further note on football. The, the top four, well, top two, top three is decided. But the fourth place, it's almost as if the teams around there competing don't want it. Uh, I'm sure they all do. But Arsenal, Tottenham uh, lost and uh, West Ham only drew at home. Um, and United were the only team amongst them that won, and, and marginally against Norwich City. So it's, it's a strange old position, that. But, you know, uh, and in fairness to Ronaldo in that, last week on uh, Get a Grip, quite rightly, he took a fair amount of criticism from you and me, for that matter, but for his rather childish antics after the game against Everton. But a week's a very long time in sport, isn't it? Mm. He scored a hat-trick in the game against Norwich, uh, and that's his 60th, 60th hat-trick in his career. Totally unbelievable. He's actually scored 21 goals this season. No other United player is in double figures. And there are obviously people, and sometimes he's lived up to the criticism, um, that say they should never have signed him. I would be fairly fearful of where United would be in the league, never mind fourth place, if he wasn't there. So he's an exceptional talent and a questionable at times uh, uh, attitude. I mean, we've got to to admit, though, you know, that at at 37 years of age as well, when most players are well beyond their prime, he's still pulling out those sort of performances for United. You know, I'd be the first to criticise him. Um, for what happened the other week. And, yeah. and you know, I, I stand by that criticism, but also to, to look at that and say, you know, 37 years of age, and he's pretty much, as you say, keeping United right in the in the top half of the table, um, despite the efforts of other players to uh, take them probably in the other direction or what seems like that. Uh, you know, so from that perspective, just, you know, yeah, you can't, like I said last week, you can't fault him as a player. You know, in terms of his actual ability, and and to still be doing that, you know, hat tricks and 60th hat trick his career, and still have the hunger at 37 is phenomenal. Quite unbelievable. And the next bit is is a sad thing because just before in, in this last couple of days, the news came out. I think it was yesterday. Many condolences to Ronaldo and his partner because. At the birth of their twins, uh, his son didn't survive birth. Mm. He died, leaving his sister. Ronaldo already has four children, thank goodness in that sense. But losing a child at any age is a massive cross to bear. I'm speaking from a personal experience when I say this. When I say we are null and void, absolutely uh, feel for him with his son's death. And Ronaldo, quite naturally, is not playing in United's match at Liverpool, as we record this tonight. But, you know, condolences to everybody involved there, family and friends. Yeah. Thoughts go out to him and his partner, um, you know, and rightly so that he's not playing tonight. And, you know, Hopefully they can get the the support that they need at this difficult time. 
Yes, I'm sure that they will. And I believe there's a one-minute round of applause that will be at the game uh, tonight, which is totally appropriate. Uh, golf, Ash, Ash Barty. And I yeah. did say that the right way around. Yeah. Golf yeah. and Ash Barty. What's she going to do next? Well, tell us. <laughs> uh, she signed up for a, an exhibition series that involves people like Pep Guardiola, Michael Felt, and another of um other sort of top sporting stars who are golfers. What I didn't realise is she plays off a handicap of four. I mean, she she's one of those which, people, which is quite good to anybody that doesn't play golf. In fact, very very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 could this be the next step? I mean, she's already obviously had a top flight uh, career in uh, tennis, winning majors. She's also played. Um, a grade, which is top grade cricket in Australia and took part in the women's Big Bash 2020 uh, competition um, back, in, I think, about three, four years ago. Um, so, you know, she's already played at top level there. Could this be the third thing? I mean, she's one of those people. I remember a mate of mine at school like that, Bob Finch, who was sickeningly good at everything. You know, he was a, a great <laughs> cricketer and wicketkeeper batsman he was a superb hockey player he was the first 15 scrum half you know he was a, a good looking lad and always very successful with the lasses as well and I think he went on to become a successful dentist just and, and one of those people that you wanted to hate because he was so good at everything but he was such a nice bloke you couldn't and I I kind of get the feeling that Ash Barty's the same you know she's she's so good at everything but who knows turns her hand to golf already a four handicap could she could she kick on at the age of 25 and have long enough to make that a a successful career on the women's tour who knows and one of those people that again seems sickingly good at everything but such a nice person that you can't hate her for it no uh you know so that's an interesting very interesting one but to have the choice of if you like three top level sports that you can play at <laughs> uh, amazing um, I made a note of Net Netball Super League, which runs actually, although it's set up by Netball England, it runs in both Scotland uh, and Wales and England. It's very successful. It's been around since early 2000s. Mm -hmm. It's done well. And I remember early on, and I was desperately trying to remember the name, talking about Unforgettable, remember the name of the guy who actually coached the Loughborough Lightning netball team. And uh, we had him on as a guest at Null and Void, and he introduced us to that league. And I thought, maybe we'll just mention it again, and maybe it's a, a guest we can get back on, because that's the champions were his team, Loughborough Lightning. Looking at the league table, as I did in preparation, they're actually in second place. But at the moment, Manchester Thunder are top of that league at the moment. So... You know, getting into the closing stages there, and it may be quite nice if we could get him back on and um, you know talk again about how the league is going. He might not want to talk if Loughborough Lightning don't win. Yeah, well, <laughs> there are six rounds to go, and then it's a the top four qualify for the semi-final uh, playoffs, um, which take place uh, June the third. So at the moment, the four sitting in those places are, as you mentioned, Thunder and Loughborough Light, Manchester Thunder, Loughborough Lightning. London Pulse and then the Saracens Mavericks. So Team Bath had been there, but they had a setback losing to mid-table Leeds Rhinos. So obviously share the name with the Rugby League Club, 
But yeah. it's nice to see a Leeds Rhinos team actually winning something at the moment. <laughs> but it, 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 to all intents and purposes, it, it's getting good TV coverage, the netball mm. league, and, and it's going from strength to strength. So that's nice to see. So maybe we can get an update on all of that uh, at a later date. Mm. Um, Invictus Games, I nearly forgot. Yeah, um, they've been taking place in The Hague at the moment. The Invictus Games, for those that don't know, are... Um, almost like the Olympics or the Paralympics, but it's for uh, servicemen and service women who've been injured um, in in the act of service for their country, for their military. So military personnel that have been injured, you know, maybe it's lost limbs to IEDs, uh, other injuries as well. And these games were then built as a way of giving them um, a real part of their rehabilitation and things like that. So it's been some fantastic sport taking place in The Hague at the moment. It was set up by Prince Harry back in 2014. Um, so him and uh, Meghan Markle, so Ginger and Winge, have been there <laughs> opening up the uh, opening up the event th- this past week. And, uh, you know, he's really driven that forward. And um, I think um, I, I've certainly not caught any of the coverage yet. Just read some of the reports and that. But certainly, you know, some of the work the foundation does and what these games do, I think it was one of the US uh, competitors was saying that actually, you know, after he'd lost his leg, uh, he, he felt there was no point carrying on with life. You know, his service career had been everything to him, um, felt there's no point carrying on with life. And yet the opportunity and the chance of competing in the Invictus Games gave him some focus, gave him something to really work for and something to even live for. So, you know, in terms of what it's doing for servicemen and service women who've been injured in the act of service and helping them both in terms of their rehabilitation and giving them a great sporting uh, focus, I think it's a fantastic event. So, yeah, being held in The Hague as we speak at the moment. OK, uh, moving on to contacts. You've got one, two. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh Good one that we had from a uh, former guest of the show, uh, rugby coach Bruce Strachan. So uh, he said, uh, hi, Andy, an open question. When you next have Billy on your show uh, as the football man or to Tony, I watched a wee bit of the Champions League and Europa games this week. And wow, why are there so many very angry professional football players, managers and coaches? I couldn't fathom out. Couldn't fathom it out. How amazing I would have felt if I was talented and lucky enough to be paid buckets of cash to play any sport. I don't get where the anger comes from. And I think it's a it's a good question. So you know, Tony, as a we well, haven't got Billy on, but as our football man. Okay, well, listen, I I am actually with him. Uh, I watch quite a lot of football. Clearly, I'm interested in it, but I'm appalled by some of the things I see, and I I think there's a few things going on here. Bear in mind, these guys are, you know, every game's coverage, cameras everywhere. They they look at the cameras, they know where the angles are and everything else. And I think a lot of what you see, you know, i.e. there's a strong tackle and there's a chance somebody might get sent off, they surround the referee and they start pushing each other. And to me, that's like handbags. I played a lot of football and, yeah, it was pretty competitive. And I didn't hold back because I was a defender. But equally, uh, um, 
you know, you, you, so there was confrontation, but there was none of that. There was never a great huddle. You know, the referee would be sorted out and you'd get a card or, or you'd be off or, or, or told to get on with it. But I just think a lot of it is posing for the cameras. Mm-hmm. They're not actually, you know, I mean, if it was Roy Keane in the middle of that, somebody would get punched, you know, properly. And I'm not advocating that, but I'm just saying he was really angry. I think a lot of these guys are just playing to the cameras and, you know, I'm going to look after my mates and to be seen to supporting the team. There's an awful lot of that going on. And I just think it's complete nonsense that's generated by the amount of coverage these guys get. So I'm with Bruce on that, but it, you know, and the coaches. And if you if you look at somebody like Simeone, absolutely out of his brain at times, it seems. And of course, that translates into players taking the message from him and saying he wants me to cut somebody in half, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm going to. And you watch the Atletico team against City, and they looked deranged, some of the uh, Atletico players. They're a decent team. They won La Liga last year. But I just think that's completely and utterly over the top. So I don't know your views on it, but that's mine. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to see some of these footballers, you know, at the bottom of a uh, ruck with the Bordeaux beglers yeah. pack going over them. Uh, I think that's yeah. certainly uh, wising a few of them up. Um, but no, exactly the same. And I think as a coach as well, yeah, you know, you know you've know, you coached, I've coached, Bruce has yeah. coached. We all get passionate about the game and I'm sure we're all animated on the touchline. But if you lose your head and start to get angry, you can't help the players in any way, no. shape or form. You know, no. I mean, going back to Sir Clive Woodward, he always talked about, you know, his time in England, teacup, thinking correctly under pressure. And, you know, as a coach, you've got to do that. And I, I just think that some of them, you know, you see it. And yes, I think some of it is that they've got to try and look passionate on the touchline because otherwise the TV pundits start questioning that. But at the same time, you know, you've got these situations where they're, you know, again, they, they've completely lost their call. They've lost it. They end up, you know, uh, what was it? Alan Pardew ended up headbutting a player. I mean, that's just nuts. So, you know, from, from that perspective, I think yeah, coaches I need to, sort themselves out and I mean I know we're not there yet but you know sort of I think a lot of it is you know you'd want to say to these players these coaches get a grip but uh yeah we've got a better yeah. one for that this week we definitely have uh now uh any further contacts for you or not from me bit? no that was the main okay. one all right Mike Smith was my first one and he said and he was a couple of episodes behind but he said Andy hindsight Callahan's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, parting comments ahead of the Grand National apparently you said it's a bit of a cavalry charge and even a horse at 50 to 1 could win <laughs> did I actually say that I'd have to I'd have to go back and listen again to what I actually said but if I said that I'll take that thanks Mike <laughs> yeah you know yeah I mean he's very quick to criticize but there he seems to be I think that I don't think it's a backhanded compliment I think it's a compliment Yeah, yes. I I genuinely don't remember saying that, but uh, if I did, then yeah, you know, well, you heard it here first then, folks. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was indeed a 50 to 1 horse that won it. Okay, my next one is uh, Simon Callard, and we've we've definitely committed to saying we're going to, every time he sends us information and updates on his tournament, um, we're going to give information. Uh, And he's just said, the latest this week, 
Grundon, not Grundy, Grundon are supplying the recycling bins, all free of charge for the tournament, which is very kind of them. The Just Giving page is now sitting at £1,700. The target on this one is £2,000. I now have all the logos in from Henley Audio, posters, and getting the social media material. And it's really, it's going to be designed this week. So it's all coming together at a pace. He said the Henley Standard article was really good. And a few people have been in contact after seeing this. I've even had people stop me in the street, he said. Now, usually usually when that happens, you owe them money. But I think genuinely people are supporting Simon in his cause. And just to remind people, multiple uh, myeloma is what he's suffering and being diagnosed from, which is an incurable cancer of the blood. And his reaction to that, despite all the chemo uh, treatment that he's receiving, is to say, how can I raise money for research for MN? And so he's doing doing a great job. So well done, Simon. Keep that going. Yeah, that's fantastic work and great that, you know, the coverage is is, is building up. And I know that he's also mentioned on social media that plans are moving forwards with the possibility of the celebrity game up at um, Macclesfield Town. So, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully we'll have more information on that to share with people soon. I hope so, too. So well done, Simon. Now. Get a grip. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, listen. Burnley's sacking of their manager, Sean Dyche, gets my vote for get a grip this week, very definitely. Dyche has been at Burnley for the past 10 years. He has kept them in the Premier League throughout that time. And in 2018, just as a a measure, 2018, they finished seventh. And that took them into the Europa League. Burnley, Europa League. Okay, that is correct for those people that think of them as always been struggling. He's done a great job with them, in my opinion, on very low budget, some of the lowest paid players in in the league, and he's kept them together. And I think he's a thoroughly decent guy. Now, two years ago, they were taken over the club by a guy called Alan Pace. He owns now 85% of Burnley. Apparently, in a, an interview prior to Dyche's sacking, said, actually getting relegated to the championship won't be a disaster. What kind of... I was going to say moron. Maybe that's a little strong. But what kind of thinking is there that? And how insulting is that to Burnley fans? You know, I think it will be a complete disaster. And, and the one person I was saying only a few weeks ago that would help them potentially stay in the Premier League is having Sean Dyche as manager. What do they do with eight games to go to get rid of him? Who's going to replace him then? Well, nobody yet. And in fact, the under-23s manager, who I'm sure is very good, Michael Jackson, famous name, but not, <laughs> been, yeah, not, not been a manager in, in the Premier League before, the academy uh, academy director, the under-23s goalkeeping coach and a senior player called Ben Mee in the actual team are the people carrying the club forward. I think that's a diabolical decision, Burnley Football Club. And to you, Alan Pace, very, very definitely get a grip. 
Totally agree. I mean, the only thing I would say about the dice sacking is it keeps up. We've talked about this Canaries curse this yeah. season that it seems to be managers lose to Norwich and then they're gone within a couple of days. And Sean Dyche is the third one that the Canaries curse has struck this season of Premier League managers. Um, so Norwich are the have claimed the scalp of the most Premier League managers this season, closely followed by Tottenham, who uh, two managers have been sacked following a defeat to Tottenham. So, uh, yeah, but um, I, I agree. I think it's a it's a, a, a an appalling decision and terrible way to treat a man who has definitely stuck by Burnley. I mean, the number of times he's had offers of jobs at, I would say, bigger clubs, but certainly clubs that have maybe got more cash to throw around and, and things like that. You know, he was being linked very strongly with the Everton job before Frank Lampard took that. So, you know, I, I would say that Sean Dyche will very quickly find another role in the top flight. I think without him, um, I can see Burnley not being in the top flight. So, yeah. I mean, just talking about relegation and other clubs that have uh, had that, I, I noticed over the weekend as well that um, Wayne Rooney uh, was unable to, you know, pull off the final miracle. I know Barry Wood had talked about, could he mastermind the great escape? And they came very, very close. But their defeat yesterday at QPR has meant that um, Derby had been relegated from the championship. You know, if they hadn't had that 21 point deduction for um, financial uh, issues going into administration and some financial irregularities, then they'd actually be closer to the playoffs than they in on points and they would be to relegation. But they've been relegated with a couple of games to go. Um, but I think Rooney has done a fantastic job there. So I, I can see both him and Sean Dyche potentially taking on bigger and better jobs in the future, as much as our regular guest and friend Barry Wood wouldn't uh, appreciate me saying that. No, he's, he's um, well, I was going to say he's in denial, but he, he sent an email out today headed, the party's over, you know. So I think he's a, a little bit sad, to say the least. Now, talking about somebody who's a bit sad, you've got something for us next, haven't you? Um, oh, in terms of our, uh, yeah, we're, Came close, yeah, came close to the get a grip. Yeah. But um, yeah, we, we talked, I think one of our guests previously or one of our correspondents mentioned uh, something Pillock of the Week. And I'd certainly uh, nominate the Northern Ireland women's team manager, Kenny Shields, for that after his comments. We'd actually already gone to editing last week. Otherwise, he would have been a very good contender for our get a grip. But it was already with our editing team. Um, so where he came out after Northern Ireland had been beaten by England 5 0, um, to, to, to make comments about overly emotional women in football, um, which I think is idiotic at the best of times. I think, you know, football is an emotional game, whether you're male or female. Um, and to make a comment like that, although the board of the Northern Ireland FA and the players, including I don't know whether she's any long lost relation but Melissa Callahan is the captain um, and she's come out and said that he's got the full backing of the the players but just idiotic to come out and say something like that I mean you, you could almost argue that his emotions got the better of him 
yeah. we're making a comment about people being overly emotional. But, you know, when, when you're looking at this great strides being made in the women's game, you know, just today the news has come out that not only is the, the Wembley final for the Euros fully sold out, but so are all of England's games in, in the women's Euros this summer already with, what, two, three months to go. And yet you then get someone coming out with that sort of trite, utterly idiotic nonsense. So, yeah, although he doesn't get a get a grip, Kenny Shields, I would certainly put him forward as our uh, pillock of the week. I vote for that for him. Definitely. Definitely. OK, well, that brings us towards the close of a, a slightly different tradition like last week's uh, over the Easter period. But lots of stuff for you again tonight, you know, there we are, absolutely stacked full of different sports being covered. And I, I do feel, uh, Andy, that that subject we talked about with Steve Thompson, rugby, rugby league, uh, rugby union, football, boxing, this business of head injuries in sport, we need to, we've said it on a couple of occasions, we've touched upon it, um, and, and we did have a special one night, but I think it's time to look at that again. Do you agree? Very much so, yeah. And I think, you know, certainly getting the viewpoints from people in other sports as well, because you and I know about the football and the rugby side of it. But as you say, boxing, rugby league, NFL, even yeah. equestrianism, you know, there have been people who've suffered these injuries and be it serious at the time injuries or people think not thinking that there's been anything wrong. And then, you know, a few years later, like in the case of Steve Thompson, you know, that then becomes a significant life altering um, situation because of damage that was done 10, 15, 20 years ago when they, you know, when they didn't realise that that was the damage they were doing long term. So, yeah, you know, quite frightening, I think, for a, for a lot of players in a lot of professional contact sports this time in terms of you know what could that mean and certainly as I say I think you know what we've got to look at is making sure that those that have had these injuries and found themselves in these situations get that support but that we do something that means that actually further down the road people don't need the support because these injuries are, are, are not happening. It's a big subject isn't it and I think we've covered it as well as we can tonight but we can probably do more justice to it at another time and date. So, um, yeah, that brings us to a, a, toward a close, really. And thank you again, all of you out there who've joined us on such a regular basis now. We love it. We love the feedback we get. We love what we're doing. And we'll be with you at a similar time, possibly a similar place for you next week. Be there if you can. No, be there. <laughs> See you later. Take care, folks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.